and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. Today we've got another, well, I don't know if we're going to call him an East Coaster, but um, he's certainly out here. Uh, today we have joining us Captain Billy Aaron. Billy, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Mark? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to come and record. Thank you for uh, inviting me. It was, uh, it was a neat experience. Cool. So let's just start at the beginning of uh, where were you born, and, and what was your first introduction or, or call to the sea? Um, I was born in Puyallup, Washington. Uh 1989 was my first trip up up north to Alaska on a catcher processor processor called the Bountiful. I uh, worked on that boat for two, three years, three years total. Uh, started out as a deckhand uh, processing the crab and uh, actually was punching a clock working out on deck, minimum wage, to, to earn a percentage. Um, and I uh, was on that boat, yeah, like I said, three years. Um, the boat actually went over to Russia in uh, the early 90s uh, for a joint venture, which uh, we were fishing blue king crab. And that was Captain Joe Morris. Captain Joe Morris. Who's been on the show before. Yep. I want to back you up just a little bit, though. So sometime between when you were born and started on the on the processor, what, mm-hmm. what called you there? What How did you figure it out? or what? Um, I was out of high school, and uh, I was just looking for uh, you know a career you know, a direction. Um, I was doing, you know, minimal stuff in around the Seattle area and a friend of mine had it, told me about, you know, Trident Seafoods and they were looking for guys to go up north and I found a passion. I loved it. You know, the adventure. It was uh, kind of gets in your blood that you know, when you first get on a boat and, you know, it's the adventure of it, heading out to sea, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it does. What, what about uh, the trip to <clears throat> Russia? Was there any prep that you had to do in order to go and um, yes, um, we did not have visas at the time on the boat, so, um, we had to stock the boat, you know, it's a hundred and, I think it's a 170 foot boat, you know, it's a catch, you know, there's 30 guys on the boat, but, uh, we were going to be out to sea for a long period of time, and so, uh, yeah, the boat, it, we stocked as much as we could, if we could hold, you know, to, to do the trip across, uh, the Pacific there. Um, we ended up in the Sea of Ahosk, which uh, is on the Kamchatka Peninsula, um, fishing blue king crab. And uh, we also had uh, Russian scientists on the boat. So part of the joint venture was they were doing research work, grid work, um, when we weren't fishing. So we were setting pots at crazy depths to, you know, just to map the, the bottom floor and what we were catching. But it was pretty interesting stuff, you know, and we, you know, got to hang out with the Russians there a little bit. So it was a fun experience. But never went to land because you didn't have a visa, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we uh, offloaded the trampers, uh, you know, close to shore. But uh, yeah, we didn't touch land for five months. Wow. Yeah, that was a long trek. Yeah. Was it? Was there any kind of? Yeah, it's probably the similar experiences to our own waters, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Probably didn't feel all that different. Not that much different. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was fun. Um, we had a great time, you know. Yeah, great, great group group of guys. Uh, Joe Morris, he's a great captain. Yeah, we had a blast. How long was the crossing? 
Uh, I want to say a week. Yeah, it was close to a week. Yeah, it's not far from Alaska, right? Yeah, yeah, straight straight <laughs> shot, you know. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. Provision yeah. in Dutch Harbor, or? Uh, yes, yeah, we we uh, left out of Dutch, and then uh, we came back. We came into uh, Sandpoint. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So where did you go from there? Um, the next uh, year, Joe Morse, uh, he was uh, got another captain's job on the American Champion, which is American Seafoods. And uh, it was kind of a, a new thing for this brand new boat. They were rigging it to fish crab, and uh, it was a little high tech. They had uh, two launchers, and they had two claws on, you know, that grabbed the pot. They were trying to do, you know, some some interesting stuff, crab fishing. You know, they wanted to haul two pots at the same time, and they had a pneumatic uh, throwing hook, and they had all these ideas. But uh, a pneumatic throwing hook. Yeah, yeah, with air. Put it in a gun yeah, and shoot yeah, it. Yeah. So, the you know we went out and did sea trials and uh, some of the guys that were on the Russian trip with me, my friend uh, uh, Mitch Judd, they, his nickname Spud. We were like, get rid of the stuff, just go back to the basics. So they end up just you know going back to your basic hauler and you know throwing the hook. Yeah. But it was it was interesting to see. But uh, I was on that boat for I don't know, it was like eight months. And they, uh, they did, you know, the, the Pollock season up there, too, because you could do both. And I did an A season on that boat. And uh, it was a little slow pace for me, you know, compared to crabbing. You know, it was a lot of downtime. So I, I didn't stick around long. I was, I was like, yeah, I got to do something else. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I, I like to be in the thick of it, you know. Yeah. You know? Pollock fishing is a different, you know. It's, it's a different mindset. Set the net out. Yeah. Wait. Um, it was it was neat to see how they did it. They, you know, they were pulling up bags as big as school buses on the back of the boat. And, Full of fish. Oh, yeah, and we did transfer it to another, you know, one of the bigger processors, and that was pretty neat to see it, you know, how it was all, how it all worked, you know. Yeah. That was cool. So only eight months there. Eight months there. Okay. <clears throat> and then uh, the year after, Joe gave me a tip on another boat that was going to Russia called the Diomedes. The boat was uh, actually Russian-owned, and it was in... Ballard getting fitted and uh so I uh I jumped jumped on that boat to go over to Russia and this boat I had to actually get a visa mm -hmm. so I flew into Russia um to get on the boat the boat made the trip from Ballard to um the Sivahos same thing and uh I flew into Petropavlovsk and then I uh flew from there to Habarsk and then they took us to uh to the boat there in, in the, um, Petro. I'm sorry, I got to reverse. Habars and then Petro. But, Any unique experiences on that trip? Yes. All right. Yeah, yeah, I got to feel the culture there. Um, it was, that was an awesome experience. Um, it was all Russian crew, except for four Americans. Uh, it was me, um, uh, Ken, and uh, Danny Brown, and then uh, Sterling. And, uh, and then they had two... Uh, two engineers and then a, the captain you know so it basically was a, another joint venture you know where mm -hmm. we're just showing them how to you know to fish the crab and it was a processor also but uh yeah, i mean we uh we caught a ton of crab you know and i don't know the culture though you, the culture you it was, uh... <laughs> yeah it was uh so um it makes you appreciate where you live you know very poor country you know um we had to guard the guard the boat at night because they would actually cut the 
the uh, mesh and steal our buoys and stuff out of the boat off the off the boat any food that was on the boat was getting stolen we, the Americans had our own locker with a padlock to to keep the food on the boat literally um, yeah things were very minimal there but uh, the, the neat part about it was we got to spend a lot of time with the Russian families on the boat they uh, they invited us to their house for Easter and, uh, you know, we did some travel around in Russia, you know, went to a couple of the, the spas, the, the hot spas they have around in the area. Because Kamchatka is part of the Ring of Fire. So, you know, you got the Lucian chain that comes around. And then over in Kamchatka, they've got all these hot springs. You know, it's all volcanic over there, you know. So it's uh, it was really neat to travel around and, you know. Do they treat that like in, in Alaska, everybody... The, the locals are all like, oh, I'm going to go get my steam. Yeah. And it's like a regular thing for them to sit in a steam box. Oh, that's yeah. Their, that's their, that's that, their deal. That's their deal. And you can only go to certain ones because the Russian mafia were running different ones. And there was a lot of that going on, too. A lot of... Uh, did you yeah. ever feel uncomfortable? Yes. Oh, I'm sure you did. Yeah, that... yeah, yeah. We, well, of course, you know, being fishermen, we went out into the town and, you know, I want to have some few drinks and dinner. Some Pepsis. Yeah. 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 And, you know, there's always one guy that doesn't, you know, follow the rules. And, uh, he, uh, he left without paying his bill and they grabbed him and kept him. And, uh, we actually had to go pay for him to, you know, to get, we didn't, it wasn't jail. It was, uh, just the owners of the restaurant that were holding him hostage until he got paid. But, you know, they were very intimidating, you know? Is you definitely want to be on your best behavior in another country. I mean, because you just never know, you know, mm-hmm. what, what could happen. How was crabbing? It was awesome. It was, uh, there was so much crab there. Um, going back to the Bountiful, um, we, we ended up with a, a half a million pounds of blue king crab processed. How many were coming up in a pot? Uh, stuffed, stuffed. A yeah. blue king? <laughs> hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was it's, it was amazing. I kn- I know they've really exploited that fishery since we've left, because there was no restrictions on it. Yeah. So I don't know how it is now, but what I seen when we were there, it was uncharted territory for crab. I mean, because they had never you know really fished it mm-hmm. commercially. Well, I know on St. Matthews now, you pull up twenty five in a pot and you're having a oh, really yeah. really uh, good day. Yeah, you're happy. Yeah, I mean, I've mm-hmm. done that fishery too. Way you know. Way back when on the Bountiful too, mm-hmm. and it was very meager, you know. Even then, yeah, even then, you know, that was eighty nine, ninety. But, but, I mean, yeah, the the, the fishery itself, um, it was very plentiful then, you know. But that was early nineties, so you know, I know a lot of the Russian king crab has flooded the market and has fluctuated our price here in the states, you know. So, but I've been kind of out of the loop for a while, so I haven't really, really been following it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so where'd you go after? After this one, um, I uh, went and worked uh, with some friends of mine uh, from uh, Seattle. Uh, do you ever hear of the dog boats? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah retriever, yeah. Labrador, Beagle. Uh, yeah, bulldog, yep, bulldog, yep. So I went to work with my friend uh, Jim Stone on the retriever, and that's where I really started to be, you know, getting to learn the engine room, you know, and that type of stuff. Um, yeah, that was like 94, 95. Um, I was on that boat for a good three years. Doing engineering? Engineering, yeah. We had some great seasons, too, on the boat. Unbelievable. We had 95 was probably one of the hardest 
OV seasons I've ever fished. Um, it was still derby fishery then, and uh, the ice came down brutal that year. And literally for three and a half, four months, we broke ice every day to go to work. I mean, it was that bad. And uh, we actually punched a hole in the bow with an iceberg. Um, Jim went down to get a cup of coffee, and we were steaming out of an ice flow. And we were in open water, and you just didn't see one of the icebergs. And, I mean, it literally almost knocked us on our, you know, our butts on the deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, punched a hole in the, uh, the full school, and uh, that's where our hydraulic pumps were. So we filled it up with water out at sea. Um, Never so, want water on that side of the boat. No. So we uh, we transferred fuel over, and the, I think it was the bulldog that came over to help us. We were in the ice flows because out there it's kind of, it's calm when you're out in that type of weather. You know, when you get in the big ice flows, you know, it kind of calms the seas down, so they tied up to us. We transferred fuel over, got the boat listed over, and uh, the, the other engineer, he got down there. He was standing in water with a porta power, pushed it back in, and welded it. And it was still leaking somewhat, but we fished the rest of the season, pumping that, pumping that out. And uh, we finished the season, and then when we got back in, we hauled the boat out. So, but we, we literally fished the season with a hole, still a little bit of a hole in the bottom. Still dripping down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, we were on such hot fishing. You know, it was just like, you know, back, you know, back in those days, it's just like you had to get it while it was good. You know. So he got down in the water to do this. Yeah, he was standing. And that he was had st- to be. Cold. Oh, oh yeah, he was standing in you know knee deep water welding, too. You know, which is a little risky in itself. Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was a neat experience. So I mean, it's one of not the greatest experience, but it was you know, it was a story. Oh yeah, it's certainly <laughs> locked in there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I fished on that boat for uh, a good three years. Um, yeah, it was a uh, good experience. You know, I got a lot of engine room experience mm-hmm. and then then where then after that another buddy of mine was running um mitch judd who was in russia with me on the bountiful with jim morris he got his captain's license and we started uh he started running his own boat called the beverly b uh big mississippi mud boat and we did a few crab seasons on that boat also um you know just king crab snow crab um it only lasted about a year and a half, two years. You know, um, it was. It's right. I think it was right when they started to allocate allocate the yeah, the quotas. I mean, I'm not really sure what the exact yeah. year Seems that like was. Seems like it was right around there. It yeah. was right around there. So, you know, there was such a big boat. You know, it wasn't a catch or processor. You know, it was just a big mud boat. But it, it the expenses on it were. A lot for just mm-hmm. for fuel, mm-hmm. and the price at the time price of fuel was way up too. So it was uh, the trips were meager. Yeah, yeah. So, you know how that works. You know some. Absolutely. You know, you know you could be catching a lot, but the, everything else is up. You know, so mm-hmm. it's, it goes both ways. <clears throat> but and then uh, the Beverly B, and then after that, where did I go? That was, I think. I was on there until 97, 98, and then I uh, I came over to the East Coast. Okay. Where did, where was your first spot here? So my buddy Danny Brown, who was on the uh, retriever with me, was friends with Jonathan Hillstrand, 
back then on the Time Bandit. And Jonathan had come over to Gloucester to be a joint venture or a partner in the Hannah Bowden, which was in, you know, the uh, perfect storm and whatnot. So Jonathan basically brought me over here too. I just met, this is how I met him, um, to to fish on the Hannah Bowden, doing uh, red crab and lobster. So deep, deep water red crab. Um, I was over here probably a good year. I was going back and forth. I was jumping from here to Alaska. Um, both fisheries. Both fisheries. You know, I was going, when the season would end up over there, I'd come over here because this fishery was a year-round fishery. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Fishing with wooden traps. <laughs> so that was that was different. Lighter? Not really. <laughs> I mean, well, there was no no cranes to pick stuff so up. It was it was all manhandling stuff, you know. So yeah, it was it was a different fisher, you know. It was it was it was fun, but it was hard also, you know. You had to be a carpenter to fix these wooden traps, you know. Um, you'd be out of sea trying to nail them, you know, and whatnot. But it's all changed now. It's all wire stuff now. Mm-hmm. But um, it was uh, it was fun to have that experience, you know, of the East Coast fishery. And what I loved about it, you know, we were out there in the summertime in shorts, you know. Right. You know so coming from the Bering Sea, you're like, oh, this is awesome, you know. It's like it's like a vacation. Much smaller boats, though, too, right? Much smaller boats, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What about weather-wise, seas? Seas, yeah. Well, my experience is the lows sit up in Alaska and just beat the crap out for days. It seemed, they seem to come quicker through here, you know, because you got a lot of the Gulf weather coming this way, and it comes from, you know, the from the west too you know so but seas wise i think the bering sea has got to beat you know but it, it all depends on what time of year it is too yeah. You know? yeah you can get your ass kicked anywhere yeah yeah you know so then you went on to continue running some lobster boats too right uh not lobster boats um i was over here for a couple years back and forth and then i went back over to alaska to fish on the western viking I did a brown crab season up in Adak. Oh. So that was a cool experience, too. Did you go on land and see the old army bay? Or the, I did. Know, we didn't get a chance to go bay. up, get off get off the boat at all. But I've never long-lined crab pots before. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other ballgame. Let's explain game. the process. Um, it's basically like lobster traps over here on the East Coast, you know, all tied together. But you're talking about 800-pound pots. You know, so one, one launches inch, and pulls uh, the next one out. Yeah, so when when shit goes wrong, it goes wrong. I mean, because that's a, you know you got a lot of weight pulling on that. It's it's uh it's definitely a lot more dangerous, only because the weight of the pots are all tied together. And you they're know? going. Yeah, so if, if something goes wrong, you know, you just got to get out of the way because you, there's no stopping it. You know, I mean, there's just so much weight on that line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we. Uh, we had an awesome season, you know, I think we caught a couple hundred thousand pounds, you know, in a short period of time mm-hmm. and that was, you know, the summertime too. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was fun fishing. I'm, I'm, you know, I've never actually fished in the summertime up in Alaska, but, you know, I tendered, you know, like on the bountiful, I, you know, going back to the bountiful, you know, we, uh, we do the salmon tending in the summertime, mm-hmm. you know, a couple, a couple in of the years bay and... in the bay. Yeah. Which is just kind of like a vacation, but you know, you're not working as hard. But, but going back to brown crabbing, um, yeah, that's a whole other ball game when you're long lining crab pots. Yeah. So speaking of things going wrong, 
with all the years that you've spent up there. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, I know you've had a really scary experience, we all have, but remember the first one? The first one. The first time you were like, oh, this is, uh, this is not going right. Um, the worst one was on the Bountiful. Um, when we were setting pots, you know, it's a big boat, you know, it held 300 pots on the deck, you know, and uh, launching the pots, you know, you bring the crane over and you drop, you drop the pot on the launcher. Well, the guy would jump, jump up and unhook the, the hook. Well, it, it hooked back up and I was in front of the pot and the pot, it, so the, the guy on the crane cabled up and the pot came at me and I ran and uh, pinched me in between the railing and the, and the pot. So it, luckily no broken bones, but badly bruised. I got lucky on that one, mm-hmm. but um, I lost two of my closest friends up there also on the, in the early 90s too, uh, John Lareth. He, he fished on the Billiken. Yeah, he uh, he fell overboard, and uh, by the time they turned around to get him, he was uh, he was already uh, under the water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Todd August Augustine, he died on the. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the boat. He uh, he got crushed by a crab pot also, you know. So they, these guys were my roommates in the early nineties, and within three years, they both passed away. Uh, it's. You know, as you know, interviewing people is, it's not, it's unforgiving. It is unforgiving. Yeah. So so going back to, uh, yeah, the Western Viking, uh, you know, I did the brown crab season and uh, I was kind of bouncing around a little bit. Um, I just got divorced and stuff, so I wasn't (laughs) really, I didn't have a place to land, so I was just kind of bouncing around. Um, I ended up doing another crab season on I did the on the Ramblin' Rose I did a king crab season on that and then uh, after the Ramblin' Rose uh, the Kona Kai I did a crab season on that one also mm-hmm. um, just there were just one season things you know you know king crab and, and the snow crab filling in filling in yeah just bounce around and then uh I came back over here to the East Coast because uh, Jonathan Hillstrand had his partner with another boat, which had been sent to New Bedford. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of the slime eel fishery over here, hagfish. Mm. So it's uh, it's just an eel. Um, the, you know, it's mostly gets shipped overseas to Korea and whatnot. But it, the fishery at the time was booming, and there was really no a lot of restrictions on it. So uh, me and Jonathan came over and got the boat from New Bedford, brought it to Gloucester, and rigged it for the hagfish fishery, which they they long line barrels, so they're round barrels with cones in them, so the eels swim in, they can't swim out, and you use like tuna racks or herring for bait, and it's not a very pleasant fishery. It's stinky, <laughs> slimy. So like one slime eel, you put it in a bucket and you aggravate, it, it'll make, it'll fill that bucket up with slime. Really? Yeah, it's a very weird fishery. Um, there's two boats that are still doing it here in Gloucester, but they they freeze it, you know, plate freeze it right on the boat. So yeah. less slime. Yeah, less slime and less dead loss too, because the way we were doing it, um, we were fishing it and putting it in barrels and refrigerated hold, and you get a lot of dead loss that way. So the, the way they're doing it now is a little more efficient, not a lot of dead loss, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah, in Gloucester, there's two boats that are still doing it over so there. So I'm like picturing a wooden barrel with a cone in it. Is yeah, that... no. So you just put, you know, like a pickle barrel? Yeah. Plastic. 
um, with the lid on the top, and then they just they have cones that come in like this and they taper in, kind of like cod fingers on a on a cod pot in mm-hmm. Alaska. You know, they can swim in but can't swim out. So when you're pulling these things out, are they just full of water too? Full, full of water too and slime. Yeah. So when you dump the barrel initially into the table, you have to spin the slime out of it and then you push the one all over you. <laughs> and it's not the it's not the the best smelling fish either. It's pretty it's pretty nasty. What uh, what what kind of market is there for it? Or I mean, was there any well, obviously there's value or you wouldn't have been fishing it. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, now I don't know. Um back then, you know, the trips were, you know, it was kind of like a lobster trip, you know, over here. Now, not a lot of money, but it was steady, and there was no restrictions on it, so you could fish it year-round, you know. But uh, there was a lot of boats in Gloucester here that were doing it, but they uh, were not as many as there used to be. Um, I ran a couple of the other boats here in Gloucester, too, that were fishing the Kamano, which used to be an Alaska boat, which they brought over here and converted. And uh, the Chris and Michael, another little one. It was like the size of a lobster boat. It ran those boats for, you know, a f- few months off and on, you know, just fill-ins and stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so uh, going back to the boat that me and Jonathan brought over, um, the boat's name was Canyon Explorer. So I was captain and part owner of that boat for three years we fished it. And we did pretty good. Um, the boat sank in 2004 with me as captain off Cape Cod. Um, one of it's an older boat, and one of the, the uh, one of the valves for the sea chest broke open, and our pumps couldn't keep up. And it was a dead of winter. Uh, it was probably I think it was in the February March. Pretty pretty bad seas too. Uh, the boat was taken out of water. We could not keep up with the pumps and. By the time the Coast Guard got out there, the boat was starting to list. So we all got in the life raft and uh, went for a helicopter ride, unfortunately. So the boat the boat sank about 20 miles uh, off of Cape Cod. Crew was okay, though? Everybody was okay. okay. Everybody got off safe. You know, we lost the boat, unfortunately. You know, a lot of hard work. You know, we'd gotten to a, to a point where it was actually doing well. So it was it was heartbreaking. You know, me and, me and John put our heart and soul into that thing, so... It was kind of a, a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean. What was going through your mind when you when you realized you it, it was a non-winning battle? Uh, survival mode. It's like, all right, what am I going to do to protect the crew? You know, get these guys off. And, the, the you know, the boat's just a material thing. You know, it's just make sure this crew's safe, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean. They do survival suits out here? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know. And uh, they've gotten more vigilant about it you know I'm, i think i think most of it started on you know alaska just because of the fatalities but i know now they are you know it's a requirement you know for companies to do the training you know which is it's good in 2004 was it yes 2004 I, so your crew too. knew what they were doing they knew what they was expected yeah i mean we were uh you know i was good about that coming from alaska because i embedded that in my crew you know this if something goes wrong this is what we're doing and you know we had drills and everything so it was you know it was could have been worse you know yeah i can't imagine the feeling yeah so um so after uh the the sinking of the boat i kind of jumped around a little bit i went down to sandwich mass 
and worked on my buddy's lobster boat, Mark Boulet, which he's a, he's a highliner here in uh, Massachusetts, you know, lobster guy. And the Miss Julie. I was on that boat for a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, we did very well. You know, he was a, a good lobster man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear lobstering's really aggressive. Oh, it is. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, got, I have a friend here, too, that he works for Shaftmaster. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company. It's in New Hampshire. So those guys, they, they, they fish hard 10 days on, two days off, year-round, you know. And I work, I work for that company a little bit, too. Did a couple trips, filling trips, you know. But it, it's, it's a hard racket offshore lobster. It's, it's, you know, little boats, and it's all pretty much manual labor, you know, lobster traps. <clears throat> it, but it's a it's it's a money maker. I mean, you, you make money, but you, you you you're always out at sea, you know, because it's a year round fishery. I keep hearing that they fight over spots pretty aggressively. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's tough really to get messing fight. with gear or people messing with their gear. Or... Oh yeah, it's a battle out there. I mean, there's been a few times, you know, guys set over, you know, another guy, and then you know they're out there yelling at each other. I mean, there's been shots fired out there before. You know, I've heard in the past, you know. If you go up farther north too, I mean they're pretty aggressive about their their grounds, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so you know a lot of these guys have had these same sets, you know, twenty years, you know, and then you get somebody else coming in here, you know, it's you know they stake their ground, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, you, you know, I jumped around on a bunch of different lobster boats, and I did a couple inshore boats here in Gloucester too, you know, just fill-ins, and uh, and then. I met my wife and we had kids, so it kind of slowed down my <laughs> my uh-huh. fishing. But uh, um, my son was two and my daughter was four, and Jonathan on the time band had called me and said, "Hey, you want to make a king crab trip?" And this is th- 2013, and uh, I was like, "Sure, I'll get you know go up another time." You know, and this is when the the show was going on too, so I didn't know what to expect. You know, you know, I'm, I'm just used to get on a boat and fishing, so it was. That was a little more than I expected. It was a neat to see how they did the whole, you know, experience and stuff. But it did, it did become bothersome to be, you know, constantly worried about what you say and you know whatnot. But, Camera in your face. And... Yeah, they ask, "Can you say this again?" But say it like this. I'm like, oh, I already said what I was gonna say. You know, <laughs> you, you know, I don't know how else to say it. You know, and you know, a lot, a lot of uh, start and stop in and you know. But it was it was neat to see how they do it. I and mean, it's amazing to me how much filming they did and how much only makes it on the show. You know, right. you're talking seconds. You know, with thousands of hour, hours of footage. You know, you get a camera in your face for a hundred hours. Uh, yeah, you're like, right. You're, you're there for two seconds. I think I was on the show for like ten seconds. <laughs> I said like two words. I'm like, which is fine by me. You know, and the, it was funny because the camera guy's like, oh, you know, don't you want to be famous? Like, no, I'm here to make money. You know, that's my whole point of coming up here. You know, yeah. I don't want to be famous, yeah. you know? but you know that's that's you know the way it, I, I'm old school fisher. You know, the cameras were kind of bothersome. You know, yeah. So, but that that was a good crab season too, though. That was it was fun. You know, to go up one last time, and uh, my last hurrah, pretty much. You know, so my fishing days are pretty much well, Alaska's over. beautiful. Oh, I know. Oh yeah. I mean, you you know, yeah. it's unbelievable. So I'm hoping to get up there with my kids to take them everywhere I've been, you know, Dutch Harbor and stuff, you know. ADAC? ADAC, yeah. <laughs> that might be a little too far out there. Yeah. It's the furthest you can go. I know, right? My uh, 
Yeah, my son's 10 and my daughter's 12, and so they, they know my, of my past, you know, my fishing and stuff, so it'd be neat to share that experience with them. And Jonathan Hillstrand, he still has a, a salmon boat up in Homer, so I'm hoping to go up there one of these summers and, and hang out with him for a little bit, go do some halibut and salmon fishing too, mm-hmm. so hoping to get back up there again. Yeah, I it's the call. It is, it yeah. is. <clears throat> you know, I mean, once you've been there, you're like, it calls you back, so... So you think you're done with the water? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have my own little sport fishing boat. I uh, I go out tuna fishing, you know, with friends and stuff out out of Gloucester, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, you know, I'm 50 years old, so. Are you really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> He's a young-looking 50, guys. You'll see his picture posted with the episode. But... Yeah, it was all those years of fishing. Yeah. You know, it's all about, you know, taking care of yourself, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are you up to now? Uh, me and my wife own our own uh, business here in Gloucester. Uh, it was her family business, a gas station, a shell station, and, a, and uh, a hearth store. And we have some storage units and stuff, so it keeps mm-hmm. us busy, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, I love being home, you know. I mean, I couldn't imagine being away from my kids for long periods of time, you know. So, it's it's worked out for the better, but, I mean, I don't regret any, all those years of fishing. I mean, it was unbelievable, the places I, I, I went and seen, you know. And yeah. the friends I've made. Uh, there's nothing like a sunrise or a sunset in Alaskan waters when, there, when there's no land behind it. Or... You know, it's just, a, it's just a free feeling, you know. You just, uh, it's unexplainable, you know. Which is going to bring me to my next question is, uh, what's one of your favorite memories of fishing? Whether it be on the East Coast or West Coast or... Um, one of my favorite memories would be probably going over to Russia on the Bountiful. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of my life. Were you yeah. on there when there was the fuel issue? On the Bountiful? Yeah, when they were uh, in Russia and Joe had the fuel leak issue or overfill issue? No. No, I think that was a year after I was on there. Okay. Yeah. So going to Russia was, yeah, that would be, that'd be a life Yeah, life you know. Experience. Yeah, I mean, you go to the third world country, you know, to to work is, you know, it was, it was a neat experience. Would, and would you change anything about your history of fishing? Never. Never. Maybe saving a little more money, you know, not living so crazy like a fisherman, you mm-hmm. know, you know, it's, you know, I, it's definitely money management, you know, I, I, I give advice to people that are still fishing that are young, it's just, you know, you never know what's going to happen later in life, you know, you get hurt, you know, you don't fish no more, but invest well. Yeah, there's no 401k, there's no... No, it's all on you, yeah. you know, if, if I had the knowledge now knowledge then than I know now, I would have done things a lot differently. You know? Well, you'd be a millionaire. I would be. I would put all that money into Microsoft back in the late 80s, early 90s. You know? Early 90s, Yahoo. Uh, right? uh, <laughs> Yahoo, yeah. Uh, so, but I have no regrets. You know, I, I'm comfortable now. So, What about uh, advice for young people getting in the industry, whether that be on the, on the East Coast or the West Coast? Um, like I said, just manage your money well and get out while you're fairly young. You know, my friend Nick Tokeman, he... Uh, Sunshine, he, he's moved on to some, some other positive things. You know, he's doing public speaking and whatnot. And if the fishery beats you up, you know, I've had two surgeries. My knees are gone, you know. So if, if you're going to do it, do it until you're like 30, or, you know, and put all that money away and, and invest in a business or, you know, mm-hmm. something that's going to make money. Um, it's often said on the podcast that uh, our community, the fishing industry, uh, we're such a small group. And coming out here, because you and I had no contact prior to me coming out. Nope. 
um, and coming mm-hmm. out here to record um, some East Coast fishermen mm-hmm. and finding someone again drawn from Alaska, right? Born in, in Puyallup, yeah, and and still yet you're over here, right? It just proves once again how small our industry is, and not is. just in Alaska right. as an Alaska community, but even over here, right? Um, Nick's here. Nick's down in. Uh, uh, he's in Springfield. Okay. Yep. So, it's just kind of a little weird. Isn't it, it? it is weird. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's 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 weird that Nick's like this close to me. You know, just everybody's you know tight knit. You mm-hmm. know, so just like you said. So. Yeah. Yeah. We are a small community. Yeah, and uh, you know, I hope to get back up there someday again. You know. Now, did uh, you deliver to St. Paul at all? Yes. I asked because you said you want to take your kids to every place that you've been. That's going to be a trip. Oh, uh, yeah. St. George and St. Paul. Yeah. Um, going back to that, uh, on the, on, there's one story I did not you know, touch on. Um, on the Retriever, we got stuck in St. George Island for like four days because of bad weather. I mean, the swells were so big that we couldn't get out of the breakwater with a full, full load of gear. And we were breaking all of our tie-up lines. On the dock, the harbor master had to keep come bringing us lines because the uh, the surge in the harbor was so bad. This, you know, it was it was dropping fifteen to twenty feet. So we ended up half. I mean, we were running out of dock lines. We actually, it was still blowing. We we just made the trip. We made the pack. But all right, we got to get out of here, or else we're not going to be able to tie up. So um, the skipper at the time, uh, Jim Lamar, he. Uh, he said, well, we just got to get out of here. So, I mean, that was a hairy ride, too. We come out of the, from the breakwater. The boat was sideways, you know, full load of gear. And we made it, though, you know. So there's there's probably a lot of stories that maybe I don't remember. You know, they, well, so. back then, though, too, uh, there wasn't as tight of restrictions on the number of crab pots, right? I mean, no. The, the Coast Guard no. was just starting to really implement and get in there. and Yeah, so, it, so the, obviously the more the better, you know. Yeah. So, But, uh, you know, as you know, Back in the day, people used to take a lot of risk, you know. Yeah, some some guys still do. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's unnecessary. You know, I mean, you, you don't have to fish in that crappy weather if you don't you don't have to, you know. But it's just that mentality, you know, yeah. crab fisherman. And I, my wife, I drive my wife nuts because I still have that mentality of like, hundred miles an hour all the time. Yeah. She's like, you're not fishing. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can slow down a little bit. So yeah. it's just the way that we, uh, you know, the way we we worked, you know. So. Well, um, Billy, as we wrap this up, do you have anything else you want to share? Or? Um, I just hope everybody's safe up there, you know, and make, make good good judgments, you know. Yeah. And uh, all the people I've met up there, I, you know, it was a great experience and all the friends I made up there, you know. So mm-hmm. but I appreciate you interviewing me. It was, it was fun. No, it was no. cool. It was very cool. All right. Uh, guys, uh, make sure that you uh, share, like, and subscribe to the podcast. And uh, if you have any questions for, for Captain Billy Aaron, just write in and we'll get them forwarded to him to answer. And if there's nothing else. Uh, there's nothing else. And, uh, yeah, this was fun. All right. Uh-huh. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.